0: You're listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices.
1: Grand Rising and good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. We want to welcome you to a wonderful Wednesday today. I'm feeling good. And I, you know what? Even if the sun is a little bit peaking, I am wearing it today. Of course, I'm always feeling good when I get to do this with my co-host with the most big O. What's up, big O?
0: Trey Holiday. You're always my Sunshine.
1: Oh, Big O. Mm, thank you. <laughs> How are you today?
0: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's it's Big O on the road. We might have to get a new show. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know if you're going to find me back in that studio.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying your time. We sure miss you over here.
0: Yeah, no, no, man. I'm de- definitely and I'm back in studio on Monday. So I'll be, I'll be right there with you. And yeah, man, looks like we, we got a great show lined up here today. The, the news was made yesterday, King County Executive Dow Constantine came out and said that, well, didn't come out, they appointed, made it official, um, Sheriff Cole Tyndall, who's in the studio there today, and we, we've got a lot of time to be able to talk to the sheriff today. I told you yesterday, I got a lot of questions. So... <laughs>
1: absolutely we could have gone on and on yesterday so i'm glad that she's in the building today
0: (laughs) yeah you know important conversations and you know i'm glad this is one of the first stops after um you know after the appointment is to come and talk to us so looking forward to a great show today and also today today's my last day on air it's usually thursday but but tomorrow is my daughter Acacia's birthday in atlanta in the e so i won't be around on thursday and of course feel good friday so i'm excited today is Wednesday is my new Friday.
1: Oh, look at you. Look at you. Well, I'm so glad that you'll be able to be with Acacia tomorrow. It's just beautiful to see you uh, spend time with your daughters on their birthday week. Like, this is beautiful. Oh, so I'm glad that you'll be with her. People
0: ain't seen me smile this much consistently (laughs) in a long time. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just trying to keep the smiles going. Uh, as long as I can. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh, and then also uh, again this weekend, my niece Isis. Isis, I'll be, I'll be in Tuskegee, Alabama. My niece Isis graduates from Tuskegee University. That's my brother Toon's daughter. And so it'll be I'm, I'm all over the place this week, bringing a lot of smiles, a lot of joy and checking in with the fam.
1: I love it. And you know, for me, what I hear about these powerful daughters and your niece, black woman magic in the building, black girl and young woman magic. I love it. Good
0: morning, All, all day long. We'll get it going right here. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update show. I want to remind you that right now is the perfect time to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel would appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating from right there in the Emerald City. Want to give a big shout-out to our partners, KBCS91.3 over at Bellevue College and also the South Seattle Emerald. Reminding everybody, you can also listen to the Morning Update show anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. So SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google. All you have to do is search Converge Media Network. And by the way, Trey, all of our shows are there across the the, – podcast platforms, including Feel Good Friday, The Factors, um, The Truth With Proof, like everything. You can find all of our shows there.
1: You know, I'm so thankful to our podcast team for ensuring that, you know, our shows uh, now are available anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. It's something that's exciting for those of, you know, those audience members and those fans of ours who can't actually watch the show. Maybe they're driving into work or whatever, but they can always tune in. So I love that we have the wide variety of ways for folks to tap in.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Uh, time in the show right now. We want to remind everybody, if someone to put the link in the comments, for hereforuswaw.org. There's a campaign really targeting those in community who are vaccine hesitant, who, you know, they don't want the vaccine and for, for various different reasons. And, of course, here at Converge, we, like, we leave a lot of space and grace for people around the vaccine. But, you know, a lot of times people also want access to actual real information coming from people in community that looks like them. Um, so here for us, is culturally curated information for those in our community who might be vaccine hesitant.
1: Yeah, it's necessary, too. I mean, I know that we have these home tests. We got people testing you at the doors. We got people wanting your vaccine cards. We got people who are like, no, no need for the vaccine. Just wear a mask. I mean, it's all over the place. It's all over the spectrum because, again, it's back in the hands of business owners, of, you know, uh, you know, venue owners and such. So we're seeing a wide variety of the ways that people are trying to keep the audiences safe while also, you know, having some looser restrictions. So it's really in the middle right now um i think a lot of people out there are still still have questions still want to understand all this uh, this changing of the information because it is ever-changing Also, so here for us wall.org is a great resource
0: come on man it's a lot going on around this COVID, <laughs> and especially like i said i'm in i'm in san antonio today and down here and really everywhere i've been in texas mostly san antonio and uh and in houston yeah it's that whole mask, this and that, where it is like non-existent. So, you know, I mean, a lot of stuff that's going on is is really unique, especially to, to us in Seattle and Martin Luther King County, um, because you see something very different across the rest of the country. But um, again, that's a great resource. Hey, we were going to talk about this yesterday, and it skipped over, and I know this is something that's near and dear to you and me, and it's something we've been uplifting every year, um, National Foster Care Month. And this is from our partners over in the south seattle emerald and it says here 10.6 million in stipends will assist youth transitioning from foster care to adulthood Um, it says as national foster care month is here the state legislature recently awarded 10.6 million in stipends for young washingtonians exiting the extended foster care program The goal of the stipends is to assist youth with their transition to adulthood by increasing housing stability and securing access to essential resources such as food, transportation, and utilities. Man, real happy to hear about this, Trey Holiday.
1: Absolutely. You know, this is so needed. And the fact that it, you know, there wasn't anything before, I think it's kind of shocking to some folks because you're talking about uh, young folks who are been in the foster care system. You know, once they age out, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's it. So I love this transition plan put in place and really putting resources where they're necessary. You know, we're talking about young folks who are getting themselves on their feet, you know, starting their young adult lives. And, you know, for those uh, who have those families, that are with them, it's very different for them, right? Because I told my kids, like, look, I'm not kicking you out when you turn 18. You know, my, my eight-year-old was like, mom, but that's what people do. I said, no, we have the choice um, in our family. So I love that this resource is available to uh, those who are in foster care. It's so necessary. Oh, I love hearing this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we need, we need to care for our young people, um, you know, as, as much as we can. And um, and actually, we, we got a few other things in regards to programming where we're uplifting the foster care system. And, you know, those resources are important. And let's, let's give our, our young people, especially those in foster care, man, the, the best tools and opportunities to, to transition. You know, and so very, very happy to hear about that news right there. um, I thought it was really interesting. This is um, some news. This is from the Seattle Medium, and we'll put the link there in the comments. you know, check out the Seattle Medium, uh, one of Seattle's legacy black newspapers. Reverend Dr. Jonathan Jamel H. McReynolds receives unanimous support as new pastor at Mount Zion. How about that? Um, In a unanimous decision, the congregation of Mount Zion Baptist Church voted on Monday for Reverend Dr. Jonathan Jamel H. McReynolds to be the next pastor of Mount Mount Zion Baptist Church of Seattle. The unanimous vote by the church brings an end to a two-year process to find the next pastor of Mount Zion. And, you know, the the thing about Mount Zion, as you know, Trey Holiday, but a lot of uh, our viewers might not know, Mount Zion is not only one of the oldest Black churches in the state of Washington. Was one of the oldest churches. It was founded in 1890. So actually, one one year after Washington became a state, Mount Zion was founded. They've been a, a really a rock of our, our community in the state of Washington from day one.
1: Yeah, it really has. I mean, I I just go back to my childhood and you know, they have a great hall kind of downstairs. I've been to so many different, you know, events down there. Um also, you know, as a mother, my son, my oldest son, um has been part of Team Isacar for, you know, a lot of years. He was a part of that mentorship program where, you know, uh brothers from the congregation said, "Look, you know, we're retired. We want to give back to our young black men in this way." And, you know, really explored so many different opportunities with my son. I'm really grateful for that that program at Team Issachar, and Mount Zion has been such a huge staple. So to hear this news, I know the congregation is celebrating because there's nothing like, a, you know, having a pastor now who's going to be there, be planted there, and for them not to have to worry too much about that or be thinking about it. This is really huge news for everyone over there at Mount Zion and for the community.
0: Yeah, growing up in the Central District, man, I remember being a kid going to so many different programs and events over at Mount Zion. So, yeah, definitely big news there. And this is this is something that's over here from the South Seattle Emerald um, and written by Chardonnay Beaver. Chardonnay Beaver actually over there at the Facts. She wrote this up right here. This is Eleuthera Lish, and this is part of the Beloved Campaign. And we know Eleuthera, She's a lifelong anti-violence leader in carrying the torch of freedom by fighting against the disease of gun violence. Aluthra's life journey of activism, uh, with a forward focus on disrupting gun violence and creating safe spaces and community for children of color. And um, that's right now, South Seattle Emerald. Salmana put the link in the comments right there. And the Beloved campaign is interesting. We we've got the sheriff here with us today in the studio, I mean, one of the the main focus of beloved is disrupting gun violence, the disease of gun violence, not only in the city of Seattle, but across King County, where we've seen such a spike in shots fired and and shootings and actual homicides. And this profile right here breaks down, you know, a Luther's work in, in our community as far as getting at the heart of the issue around gun violence.
1: Yeah, it's so important to be able to uplift. There, You know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of people um, that have been working on this issue behind the scenes that the the general public may not be aware of. So I love this spotlight on Eleuthera. I think it's so important that we understand there is a real uh, intentional diligence that has been put behind the efforts of the disruption of gun violence. And honestly, it is a beautiful thing to be a part of, to experience the outcomes of it, but also to understand these amazing people that are continuously carrying that torch so shout out to South Seattle Emerald for you know elevating Eleuthera and her work in this movement it's so necessary
0: yeah no I mean this um, man it's gun violence uh, this we got to get to the heart of it this is something that needs to be disrupted um, Let me see here. We we do. We got time to fit. This. We got time to fit this in. National story is kind of interesting. Uh, You know, this was down in Los Angeles yesterday. This is from the Associated Press. Dave Chappelle tackled during Hollywood comedy bowl shows. This is a wild one here. It says Los Angeles comedian David Chappelle was tackled during a performance at the Hollywood Bowl Tuesday night. Security guards chased an overpowered attacker. Um, and Chappelle was able to continue his performance while the man was taken away in an ambulance. The assailant was carrying a replica handgun with a knife inside. Isaiah Lee, 23, was detained and arrested for assault with a deadly weapon, said uh, the Los Angeles Police Department. Chappelle was performing his stand-up routine at the amphitheater as part of the Netflix as a joke festival when a man rushed on stage and tackled him. Jamie Foxx, was in the wings of the stage, and Chappelle thanked him for responding to the attack. Chris Rock was there as well, and jokingly asked if the attacker was Will Smith.
1: Oh man, this this thing is not dying. I guess you know, right? I'm seeing so many different things there. So Chris Rock being there and, and making that joke about it being Will Smith, but this is, you know, this is unfortunate. I mean, you're talking about this is an industry. Uh, full of comedians who now have to be careful and, and, and watch. what. The, this is something that I think is really unprecedented. You've seen that people always haggle from the audience, right? The idea is that they're like, oh, they don't like these jokes and so they're, you know, trying to shoot things back out. I love the comedians and performers who are always able to kind of either intertwine it or completely ignore it to where it really dies it out. But the fact that this, this person thought that they could run up on the stage and attack Dave Chappelle, that is something that I'm glad yeah. there was a quick, swift response to because it's it's just, come on, man. These are jokes like nobody should – if you don't like the jokes, you don't have to attend.
0: Yeah, and it isn't even that he thought that he could attack them. Like, he really, he really did. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And the thing is, in the routine, Chappelle was talking about how he's had to hire so much more security and all these kind of things and everything else. And clearly, I guess they need to hire some more. That's, man, that's, mm, man, comedy these days.
1: Goodness, man, it's taking on its own little life force over here. You know what I mean? We're we're seeing it. You, we saw that kind of, you know, difference between, you know, Chris Rock's response, Will Smith slapping him. I mean, we're just seeing that, you know, jokes are, you know, kind of taking its toll on certain folks. But the thing is, is that again, um, my, my thing is, is especially for a road show, you just don't have to be there. Or if your intention is to go there to attack him, um, it's, it's yeah. like you're doing this in a public way. And maybe you got to him, but now you're going to have to suffer the consequences of this attack and go to jail and face charges. Like, is it really worth it? And Especially because you didn't um, stop him <laughs> from continuing his performance. He was able to finish. So, you know, what's the point of all of that? It just seems like, you know, senseless uh, violence, honestly.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot of senseless violence all over the place, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So we breeze through the headlines here. It looks like we got some time to, to really uh, dig in deep with the sheriff. Um, we're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we have new King County Sheriff. There she is. Sheriff Cole Tyndall. you're watching the morning update show.
1: As a
2: non-binary Black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a Black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to
1: trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with Black folks, to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday, And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. (laughs) <laughs> it's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Facebook. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you, too, can walk out with some dope gear. Welcome back. All right. There it is. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday.
0: Oh, yeah. I forgot. I'm your other co-host. There you go. I'm sitting there watching you. I'm like, man, I'm too dead. <laughs> What's Trey's in there talking
2: about?
1: <laughs> oh, well, I'm excited for this segment right now. We get to bring in uh, the new King County Sheriff, Patty Cole Tindall. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. You're looking sharp. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll actually toss this over to O. I know Omari has some questions that he wanted to make sure he asked. Uh, we can bring O in to make sure he's, he's getting some of these questions answered.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to start with the introduction first. Uh, First, congratulations on your appointment. Um, New sheriff here in Martin Luther King County. Uh, Maybe you could start and tell the audience a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to pursue this position.
3: Sure. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners, your viewers. So um, my name is Patty Coltindle, and I am a 30-year public servant. I've actually worked with the Uh, for King County for over 24 years. Uh, Started my career in law enforcement 30 years ago as a special agent with the Washington State Gambling Commission. And I moved from there to the uh, State Employment Security Department doing investigations of unemployment insurance fraud. And then that brought me here to King County in 1998. And I served in a number of roles here. I started out in what was uh, juvenile detention. I was an internal affairs investigator, moved to the jail, uh, served as HR employee relations. And in 2010, the executive uh, appointed me to be the director of labor relations. And in that role, my job was to oversee all collective bargaining. Most county employees are in a union And so we were bargaining with those uh, unions. There were 33 unions, 81 bargaining agreements. And I did that until I came to the sheriff's office. But right before I left that role, I also served 11 months as the director of the Office of Law Enforcement Oversight. And that's what got me in front of then Sheriff John Urquhart. And he said, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I, I want you to come work for the sheriff's office. I was brought in. Um, From the outside, because as I said, I had started my career in law enforcement, left it. And so I was not a career law enforcement person and brought into the agency. uh, There were 35 other people that felt they should have been given the division chief promotion that I was brought in to take. Uh, So it wasn't necessarily welcomed with open arms. But in being an African-American female, I think that was also I'm not going to say that was the main issue. The main issue was that I didn't grow up in that agency and I came in from the outside. Uh, so I was there. I did that for a while. And in 2020, Sheriff Johainik asked me to be her undersheriff, which is the number two role in the agency. And then the executive asked me to be the interim sheriff, effective the first of the year. And here I am, uh, as your as the selection for the permanent sheriff. So let me explain a little bit about why I decided to apply for the permanent job. Because when the executive appointed me, I said, I'm not interested, I do not, I will not pursue the permanent position. And at the time I said that, I meant it. And, because I felt like my job needed to be to heal the what had happened, uh, the, the um, we had, low morale in the agency. We weren't necessarily revered in the community. We So I really saw my focus to rebuild and repair relationships and focus on that work and not applying. So it was through that work along with my leadership team that a number of people both inside and outside the agency were like, won't you reconsider? This is exactly what we need. And, you know, I pushed it away, pushed it away. And then I really gave it some serious thought. And I thought, you know what, why not me? I am a non-traditional police executive, why not me? And so I let the executive know of my intent to apply, I applied right before the closing date and was named a finalist and then as you said yesterday uh,
1: it was announced that I'm the appointment for the uh, next sheriff. Wow. Well. I just want to say I think that you know I, I really appreciate you giving us that background and the history because you know from my perspective one of the things that I was even talking about yesterday as the the announcement was made was how necessary it is to be thinking about the relationships with community and the idea that that can be something that is your you as now King County Sheriff carry forward. And it's not just an initiative from, you know, HR or the administrative side or whatever, but really from the sheriff's perspective, I think is so key and crucial to that work. Uh, when you talk about what you were able to do during this kind of interim phase and why people were resonating with the, the the need for you to really take on this position, what are some of the things that really stand out to you in that timeframe that had people saying, you know, will you reconsider? Uh, you know, what are some of the things you were able to do in that time frame?
3: So there's a few that I can speak to. So one is just creating a relationship that should have been already created. That was with the NAACP when we reached out to them and said, you know, we want to partner and have a relationship. They were like, well, who? The King County what? Because they'd been they're used to dealing with Seattle police, Bellevue police, but had not had a relationship with the King County Sheriff's office when we are, you know, in the same community. Mm-hmm. And so we started that work and started that relationship. And, you know, I will say that initially they were a little hesitant. They were like, is this just like a one and done? Or are you going to be in this for the long haul? Because they wanted to, if we're going to partner, it's going to have to be an ongoing relationship. And I was like, absolutely. We want to be transparent. We want to open up and show you what we're are doing. We want you to help us figure out maybe what we can do better, how we can be responsive to the community in a better way. So that's one example. Another example of dealing with or engaging with community that I'm really proud of is the work with Weld. Weld is an organization that deals with people who have been previously incarcerated and it's helping them to be successful once they reintegrate back into society. And most I think would say, well, why are you spending your time there? Well, I think it's key and they and they really are not that different than you and I, right? And so isn't that the perfect place to to engage and I, uh, they invited me to a session that they were having for their folks just to, you know, help them with skills and, you know, just, just, okay. Now that they're left incarceration, now what? And I was just going to stop by to say hi, but I stayed the entire time because I really enjoyed it. And they didn't until the end of the session, say I was the sheriff, the interim sheriff. So they might've thought I was one of them. Right. And I sat with these two young women, one, uh, gal who'd been in she was 30 and she'd been incarcerated since since she was 14 wow the other one was 31 had spent eight years and they were they could have been my daughters and we were having these conversations and they were like we would have never if you would have told us last week we'd be sitting with the popo with the sheriff we would have said no way and they said you're you're like you're normal exactly and there are many many more like me I have a deputy that helped me get hooked up with the Weld program, he's one of our, uh, trans, our laterals from Detroit. Love him. Um, I'll just say his name. His name's James Taylor. He has a goal of saying hello to 100 people a shift. Now think about that. Think about that difference. He doesn't sit in his car. He gets out and he walks around and he's going to say hello to 100 people. And he is all about engagement. And I, and we have many deputies like that that want to help with the community. So I really see us just at the beginning of being able to do this work. I want to create action councils, getting a faith-based leader group together. I want to work with the community so they can advise me and my folks on what can we do better? How can we together figure out some solutions?
1: Mm, great point.
0: I had a few questions from, from my side over here. The first one, quick one, you've been in the, the county ecosystem over there where the, the sheriff was elected and you're the first one appointed. Do you still feel that like you have a mandate in what the sheriff being elected um, you know, through through the ballot box, the sheriff always carries a bit of swag because it's like, hey, I was elected directly by the people. You're our first appointed mm-hmm. sheriff in a while. The sheriff has been appointed before in King County. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, do, do you feel that your position is going to be recognized as such, not only in your organization, but throughout King County?
3: Well, how to answer that is this. It's akin to a city chief who reports to a mayor. So I report to the county executive. And so he is the boss. I mean, I see my role is to explain and, and bring, you know, what are the pros and cons to an issue. But if uh, I've done that and he does not agree, there is, you know, now now we have a decision point, right? But different from the elected sheriff who could really say and do what they wanted, the appointed sheriff, I don't have that latitude, but I also see the benefit of being able to partner with the executive and his team on issues such as budget. I mean, I feel there's a number of things that we need to right-size in our agency, and I need money to do that. We can talk about body cams. I need money to do that. And being that we are part of the bigger county, there's going to be that support to help us be successful, because if we're not successful, it reflects on the entire county, where I think previously having an elected sheriff, there could be this distance. So I actually see it to be a benefit and I have worked directly for the executive for previously. So um, he knows what he's getting with me. I am a collaborator, I'm a problem solver and I don't see it as a detriment I see it as an opportunity to partner and to help us as law enforcement with the exec be responsive to the community, but also to our BIPOC communities. Because I I know that one thing the executive has asked not only of me, but other department directors is to lead um, through racial justice. So we will be working on that in the sheriff's office. And I think when you have an elected sheriff um, they don't have to share the value of the greater county
0: right and, and speaking of that what what are some of the challenges then in the sheriff's office you know of uh, uh, me I, I live in the city of seattle um, and and so you know interaction with the sheriff is is very minimal there Um, less like special events or transit or something like that maybe you could explain to our viewers um, the the job of the sheriff in considering and the size of the county, and also where where you have areas like Skyway, which has per capita the biggest pop- black population in the state of Washington, mm-hmm. but then also you have areas of like say North Bend, which is also within King County.
3: All right. Okay. Thank you for that. So, we cover twenty three hundred square miles. We have 12 contract cities. These are cities that contract for police service with the sheriff's office. Cities such as Covington, Shoreline, Burien, Newcastle, uh, Maple Valley. We also have the Muckleshoot tribe that we police for. We have two transit agencies, Metro and Sound Transit. And we also have the King County Airport. So we cover a lot of territory. So in Seattle proper, our folks basically cover transit, which is the Metro police. We have bees, they're on bicycles, but also other Metro officers, and then the sound transit. But, so the unincorporated areas that you talk about, we have a number of those, Skyway being one, White Center, where we were yesterday when the executive made his announcement. So these are unincorporated areas that are very different as you said, from North Bend. So our role is going to be to work with all the different communities to and to learn what they need specifically, how we can best partner, how we can learn together, what are some of the problems, what are some of the solutions. And then also I see us working more closely with social service agencies, such as community um, passageways, and uh, partnering with them the way that Seattle Police partners with them. So I'm just, just really intrigued by that. So we have so much opportunity in the Sheriff's Office. And we do cover a large area. We cover Vashon Island. That's also so does that explain a little
0: bit about yeah well it it does in the sense that like so people should realize there you go people should realize like the city of seattle is 88 square miles and you just said the county what 2300 square miles so yeah you know it's it's a very big area um but but my my next question is and i also wanted to get on this issue of of gun violence uh, that's occurring but one thing here is what are you doing or what what's your plan and going into the King County Sheriff's office and being the sheriff now and you know in, in ensuring that internally your ecosystem isn't working against you. I mean we we've kind of seen this play out before. Chief Best came in and Chief Best came in with a lot of support from community. Black people rallied around Chief Best, mm-hmm. but you know I mean our reporting here over the last few years we found incident after incident where Chief Best command staff worked against her best interest and in the city, the people of the city of Seattle. You know, I mean, and I'm not giving her an exemption. I say yesterday, it's the same chief, that deployed tear gas and everything else and this massive police violence that occurred here in the city of Seattle, but internally as well, Chief Best was fighting a battle inside the Seattle Police Department because people in the Seattle Police Department did not want to see this black woman there be the chief or be successful. They actively worked against her and we've reported on it time and time again. You now, black woman going to be the sheep, the the sheriff now of King County. What what are you doing to make sure that you're not getting sabotaged from the inside of your own organization?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. And you know, what happened to Carmen was very, very unfortunate. I would say this: that uh, I have worked ever since I came to the sheriff's office, which was October two thousand fifteen, to prove myself, to prove my worth, to, to prove that I deserved to be there. Right? That I wasn't just an accident that that showed up. I w- it was intentional, and in that I was bringing something that was different and nuance to the King County Sheriff's office. And through the years, I have been able to gain the respect of the folks inside the agency. And I firmly believe that employees who feel respected by their leaders will then go and show that respect in their interactions. So to the community, to the, each other, to colleagues. But I really feel for me, what's been important is to establish the relationship with my staff. And I'm not saying uh, Chief Best did not do that, but I believe that my leadership team is solid and they are with me 100%. I mean, they understand, I am different. I didn't grow up in a police agency, which that would be what the same is. So I am different, but they, but it's this respect. It's the way I have come into this agency, been there six and a half years. And slowly gained the respect of even what I would say were critics, people who are like, why is she here? She's not a cop. She's, I'm not gonna say that it was ever overt about the race that I was black. It was more that I was an outsider. And so, one by one, you know, I have gained the respect of folks. And I'm not saying I'm everybody's cup of tea or everybody's fan, but what they're gonna get with me is consistency. Um, which I think is important in leadership. And I do believe the command staff, and when I say command staff, that's not just my immediate team, that's the precinct majors, the city contract city chiefs, and our sergeants that are running the day to day of the operation. When they believe that the leader is in their court, they are going to stand up and do the right thing. And I believe that's what's happening. So I will continue. To do that in this agency, and if I find that somebody is, uh, as you say, sabotage or doing something that is inconsistent, we will deal with that and and address it. And I have the full support of the executive in dealing with those things. Well, you know, I really
1: appreciate this this um, question that Omari brings up because. I think it's so important for us to understand how these nuances in terms of relationship, how they play out, because we still are dealing with, you know, a society, especially after what we witnessed in 2020 here in Seattle. It's unfortunate that those characteristics of what we saw through the Seattle Police Department kind of spread to many people to not even have a distinguishing factor of, oh, well, that's King County, they're different, or that's a different city, you know, police force they're different we just see police right we just right. see um, you know officers and we see that there's this divide between you know officers and the people and this idea of protecting that kind of boys in blue and gals in blue Mm -hmm. like this this kind of idea of protecting each other before really being transparent about what it is so that there's justice can be served we've just experienced that a lot so Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate you talking about the nuances but I think that that's something that people need to understand even more and when you think about your approach you know because you are saying look I'm an outsider I wasn't you know coming through the cop ranks, I didn't do that that pathway. You have a different understanding of how you're doing it. You talked about the relationships in community and the relationships you're building with your team. How how does the community get to connect to that and resonate with that if they're not a part of NAACP? You know, I'm talking about the regular, right. you know, family right. member, community mm-hmm. member mm-hmm. out there who's like, man, I don't have no connection to what they're doing over there at right. the King County Sheriff's Office. How do you connect with those individuals? Well, I'd like to invite people to reach out to
3: me directly because I'm interested in developing developing. developing, you know, I have a number of groups. I mean, and maybe we do something where um, I'm just, as you're talking, I was thinking we could have sessions where we just invite the public to come and interact with us uh, so they can learn about the King County Sheriff's Office. Cause you're right. People, when they, in this area, when they think about the police, they think about SPD, Seattle police, Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily think about, or I've, I've had somebody ask me this question. What does a deputy do? Well, they do the same thing as a police officer. They just happen to work for the sheriff's office and are called a deputy. The work is the same. Just where they patrol is different. So being able to talk about that. Uh, The other thing is, you know, maybe there's videos we can push out. And like you're doing podcasts here, ways that we can connect with the community so that you know, and post them to our website. We do have information that's on the website. We have use of force dashboards as well as our internal affairs dashboards that shows it's kind of a, uh, I'll say, you know, a, a pink under the curtain about what is happening in the agency and folks can go and review the data there and do their own little slice and dice the data and see, you know, just, okay, in my area of the county, how many contacts does the sheriff's office have? What does that look like? And then with the internal affairs data, what complaints are coming in about our deputies? And then what are the investigations and the dispositions of those? So I think any way we can engage with the community, but I am very open to ideas. So I'm excited because we have a blank slate. We can really together figure out what is it that this community wants and expects from the King County Sheriff's Office.
1: Thank you. Mm
0: I I got okay, there you go. I got a question here is it well one one thing that I do want to bring up is like man we can't push it all off on SPD King County Sheriff's office does have some issues with community and we bring up bring up Tommy Lay in the case that mm-hmm. was settled um last last year with um the Um, where there was a settlement between the King County Sheriff's Office and the Lay family where uh, initially they said Tommy Lay had a knife and then they said he had a pen and then he might not have had a pen and I mean the arduous process that the Lay family had to go through to be able to find some justice. And so, you know, in Seattle, we might sometimes be insulated and in, in thinking about SPD, but, you know, the King County Sheriff's Office does have issues, not only in Black community, you know what I'm saying, Tommy So it's a whole different ethnic community. So in different communities across our county, there are outstanding issues that people have with the King County Sheriff. What, what are you going to do in addressing that and trying to actually build some kind of relationship with community and also um, understanding what community safety means to different communities. Mm
3: -hmm. So um, as you said, I mean, we do uh, sometimes unfortunately have an incident where somebody loses their life at the hands of a deputy. That is always unfortunate, that is not anything I want, or anybody in my agency wants, I really want everybody to go home at the end of the day, both people in the community and also my officers. I can't guarantee we will never have an unfortunate incident because when I have people with guns and badges and the authority to use force, um, sometimes something may happen, but what I can do is ensure that our deputies have the proper training. Perishable skills training is what I call it, where I've told the executive I need money for that. And not just drawing their firearm or their taser, but de-escalation, how to talk to people, time distance and shielding, that we need to do more with that. Defensive tactics, using their hands instead of their uh, weapon that almost always has tragic results. So most officers are gonna resort to what their training is when they get into a critical incident. That's just the way it works. I mean, we're humans and and that's the way we operate. So we have a responsibility, myself as the sheriff, the executive and county council to approve the budget that we have enough money to properly train our people because we gotta take them off a shift that means we've got to pay somebody else to work their shift while they we're training them, and my goal is that we would have at least one day a quarter of what I call perishable skills training, so that we can properly train our folks and not just hope they do the right thing.
0: Right. That. And that's and that's your your existing uh, deputies and, and staff there, and I think the training is important. And one thing that we see that's going on here in the city of Seattle is what they're talking about. They need more officers on. You know, they want to they want to hire more officers and they're talking about bonuses and everything else. But I don't hear anybody talking about what's the type of officer? Is it? Is it an officer that that is used to dealing with diverse communities or is it you know what I'm saying? What, what type of officer? And that's something that never seems to be addressed is that You know what? But before we have to reach people who are in the system, they have to have training. But what's the plan for the type of deputies that you want to be recruiting into the sheriff's office?
3: That's a great question, because that is key. Right. We need to recruit folks that look like those of us in the community and uh, women. We don't have and we are very, very um, low on women and the there's a national Um, initiative called 30 by 30, 30% female by 2030. We have signed on to that and we hope to achieve that. We're 11% female. Um, In terms of African-American males, we're actually at, you know, what the percentage of African-Americans are in the community, but like other areas like Native American, Uh, Hispanic, we are low. And so we've got to reach out to those communities and the type of person. We're not looking for the, what I think people would think is the, you know, uh, officer that wants to run and gun. No, we want somebody who is more nuanced. Yes, they want to help the community, but also in a different way. When I talked about that deputy who wants to say hello, his goal of saying hi to 100 people a shift, it's that engagement, having people Engage with the with police in a positive way, not as a negative so police who want to come in to truly help people and it's so it's kind of a hybrid of yes, we there are times we need to enforce the law, but I don't there's other times we just need to engage with people, find out, meet them where they are what what do they need and we also need to as a community make sure that we have proper resources for people who are in crisis, um, people who are homeless, because, you know, why, what, what's the why? Why did somebody commit a crime? Is it because they're hungry and they don't have a place to live? I mean, so what do we do as a community collectively to help those people? And so the type of officer that is really wanting to dig down and do that type of work not just, you know, I'm, I'm going to drive fast and make arrests because that's, that's not where we're at.
1: Well, this is, this really leads me to my next question around quotas. Um, you know, th- we know the statistics, we know the data, you know, the United States has, you know, one of the most extraneous, uh, you know, prison systems in the world. Um, When we think about the way that we deal with crime and punishment, um, we talk about, you know, institutions, um, you know, a, a prison system not really being rehabilitative in nature, right? We talk so much about this, and the data is out there, The people are coming forward with their stories. We're understanding even some of the minute details that have changed people's life based on, you know, them experiencing incarceration or, you know, hey, that one person that, you know, gave me a different pathway, um, when you talk about community passageways, and I think about uh, programs like Choose 180, that we see that we need to be treating the whole person. But yeah. I wanted to ask you, in terms of uh, you know, as King County Sheriff, how do you deal with all that—the data about us, you know, having this kind of you know hard, stark you know response to crime, mm-hmm. but also the fact that it's because of these situations and the the nuance of people living out here in you know unaffordable cities and all yeah. of that—that that really drive it. I just wonder how you as a King County Sheriff can bring this kind of, again, outsider mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. to a lot of these things that are like, you know, right. it's not about the amount of tickets you're giving and it's not about the amount of people that were you're putting in jail um, and how you can disrupt this system mm-hmm. that seems mm-hmm. as though that's what a lot of people are in the community aspect and perspective right. are dealing with.
3: So we need to have systems in place that allow us to divert people and and give the officer, the deputy on the street, the authority to make that decision to divert somebody instead of arresting them for certain crimes. So we do have what's called LEAD, law Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, which allows the deputy to not arrest somebody, to get them the service that they need so that they can avoid entering the system in the first place. And I think that's key here, right? How do we stop people from entering the system when they really just have a basic need that's not being met, right? I mean, again, why is somebody committing the crime? And if we can create more programs that are available to help people who are in crisis, then I think we're going to, we will start to see the effect of fewer people, BIPOC people, being filling our jails. But that costs money too, and we need as a community to invest in that. But also then work with these community organizations, these social service organizations that are already in place doing this good work. So uh, I, I just I see it as something that we embrace we do here in the sheriff's office but we need more of it and more money so that we can work with the community to do more
0: right and when when cherry brought up something she said their data and using data one thing that we do know is that king county um, public health seattle king county zero youth detention you know Mm -hmm. they they the county has invested a lot in gathering data around gun violence, gun violence disruption and in a lot of cases they're able to use that data to identify a lot of different things. Um, what what exactly is is your plan in working with your other county partners like public health Seattle King mm-hmm. County and even Seattle Police Department and other cities, um, either your contract cities or municipalities within the county to be able to just dis- disrupt this gun violence that's occurring across King County?
3: Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to look at the data. Who are the victims? Where are people getting the firearms that are using them? We need to also focus on the retailers and that they, when they sell these firearms, uh, you know, ensure that, that they are passing on responsible gun ownership to the people that are buying them. And so I think that is key, looking at the data. And then I, again, going back to the community, because many in the community know. Perhaps some of the people who are um, using the guns, having, you know, being initiators of this gun violence. But we do have to partner with other agencies, both uh, local law enforcement and federal, because right now, as you said, gun violence is rampant in this area. And, you know, it's not unique to Washington or Seattle, Uh, I listened to a podcast the other day that was um, in New York and they were talking about actually in New York, how it's less than it is here and why. And it's because they have resources. They've decided to invest and they have people that are out walking the streets that their job is to interact with those that are in need, those who have uh, some crisis. And it's so it's, it's again, like you were saying, dealing with the whole person, but the attacking the gun violence, we really have to figure out, you know, why is this happening? And I think part of the why this podcast I listened to, and I'm happy to share the link, was about um, coming out of COVID. That people, uh, part of that too, people have been locked up for a long time. Uh, people uh, from the the murder of George Floyd and just people feeling really devalued, and so there isn't the same value on human life that I think, you know, perhaps existed years ago. And so how do we as a community, it's not just on law enforcement. I think a lot of times people look to, well, it's, you know, cops, what are you going to do to fix this? It is a holistic approach. So yes, as law enforcement, we need to be out there. And and yes, we need to reduce crime and the fear of crime, right, where people can feel safe walking their, their dog or walking their child to the park. So we have to work together, but I think that's our also our opportunity to partner with the community on, all right, how can we solve the problems that they identify? And, and I suspect, and based on some data, that, that gun violence will go down, but we aren't there yet, right? And so um, I see the King County Sheriff's Office being at the table, for these conversations, being present with, um, I participated in a task force that was U.S. Attorney Nick Brown, who's also African-American. He called a meeting of the South End Agencies, Seattle P- Police was also invited, and then uh, King County Sheriff to actually talk about the uptick in violence. And many of those South End Agencies, their answer was, well, we you need to charge more people. Well. I don't know if that is the answer. I think it is more about us collectively figuring out the why and then finding a solution. So uh, it's it's a big multifaceted issue. And I can tell you that as the sheriff, it will be a key
1: issue for me and I will be engaged. Well, thank you for that. I know we're coming up against time. Oh, I I had only just one last thing, you know, because I'm a black woman, you're a black woman. I had to ask, you know, how important it is for you um, to be, you know, in this position right now and bringing your lived experience. Mm -hmm. You talked about your professional experience, Mm -hmm. but your lived experience as a black woman in this country, right. Right. um, To this, to this amazing, you know, position of leadership here as King County Sheriff. Well, it's not lost on me that I'm the first African
3: American sheriff for King County, but also the state of Washington. Mm. And so that to me is a big deal. I'm reminded I have people that tell me that this, this is, this is historical. And so it is important. But what I say is this. I feel that, you know, now little black and brown girls can see, you know what? I can be the number one person in an agency too. Carmen Best was number one. So they, they see us. Kenyatta John, um, Jackson, being the first Supreme Court Justice Black female, they can see themselves that maybe they will be part of, that maybe they can make history. So I feel that uh, it is important. And so that is part of my lived experience. But I also would say I think my non-traditional path to get here also makes this unique because at this space at this time, King County, again, is doing something different. I will um, say that I, I'm, I'm not sure there's a lot of uh, support. Like around the state, a lot of the other um, sheriff's offices are concerned about their sheriff's office also going from elected to appointed. And then when you have a non-traditional candidate that's been selected, that also, uh, I think, um, sheds some you know, concern for, for some people. But um, I'm just, you know, I'm excited about the
1: work ahead. Right on, thank you so much.
0: All right, well good stuff. well I, I will say this, ma'am, is that you know i I hope that um through your tenure here as sheriff that you will um, continue to check in, you know, I mean we' we're, we're glad that you came and you made us one of your first stops uh, after the appointment. and I hope that um you you remain accessible uh, not only to us, but you know, to to other media, especially black media and accessible to community. And we look forward to following up with you throughout your time here as the King County Sheriff.
3: Thank you. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Thanks. All right, Trey.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us in the Black Media Matters studios. Uh, oh, this has just been another great episode. I know we're running up against time, but I want to make sure that we get this in. So before we go, um, uh, I, do you want to play the clip? Yeah, from this Brian? is Brian.
0: So we, with Seattle News Views and Brews tonight, uh, we got Brian Callinan right here giving an update on what people can expect.
4: Hey there. Sorry I can't join you in person, but I did want to make sure that I touched base with you to let you know what's happening on the podcast tonight and what's happening with your city government right now. As a matter of fact, the Finance and Housing Committee is doing some work, a budget forecast they're looking at actually today in the Finance and Housing Committee. They're talking about what's happening with those federal funds that were used for COVID relief. Where are those going? When are they going to run out? Looks like the end of this year. They're also budgeting ahead. Looking forward into the next year, trying to figure out where their different revenues are going to come from, where they're going to go. You might remember that the mayor was talking about this just a short while ago, two months ago, as a matter of fact, during his State of the City address. There's about a $150 million budget gap. So how is that going to be filled up? They're talking about perhaps using some of the payroll tax money that has come in there, some of the excess money. We'll see where that goes, but that's a big conversation as well. Also, financing housing is talking about the housing levy, which is up for renewal at the end of next year. So a lot of crazy things on the ballot there to discuss too. But I really wanted to talk about something on the podcast tonight and hopefully check in with you about this is about this whole deal with the SPD and the hiring bonuses. The Seattle City Council has been scrapping about this for some time. We took a look at a meeting from last week during the Public Safety Committee hearing when Councilmember Herbold and Councilmember Nelson were kind of going at it over this. Councilmember Nelson has some different ideas about how much money should be going towards a police bonus type of program. Councilmember Herbold isn't really on board with it just yet. Councilmember Nelson kept on pushing with this during the meeting here, didn't really have this on the agenda, was pushing for this. Here's how the exchange went down.
3: We have two more items on our agenda. And so I would Allie, like to
4: close debate. Thank you. Um, I actually do. I'm not, I'm sorry, with all due respect, this should be the job of Public Safety Committee. And I do have an alternative resolu- uh, ordinance that um, that I would like Allie to briefly speak at. Um,
3: And I I am requesting as the chair of this committee um, to move on. And so with that, I'm closing debate on this issue
4: All right, so that was the breakdown from last week. Where's this gonna go? Well, you know it's gonna be on the city council's docket over the next couple of weeks. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, but some differing ideas as to what to do with the different money that the Seattle Police Department is going to have in surplus at the end of this year. Remember they said they were gonna hire about 125 new officers? doesn't look like that's happening. They're looking like closer to 80 or so. So with that extra money, could be about four million dollars there. Councilmember Nelson is saying, let's push that back to the SPD. Let's make sure they get hiring bonuses, whatever else they need. Councilmember Herbold is saying, let's pump the brakes on that a little bit because we need to look at some alternatives to policing too. So she's saying let's get a recruiter hired here for about two hundred thousand dollars and maybe set aside about four hundred four hundred and fifty thousand dollars for some bonuses that would work in the form of Um, let's say relocation expenses for officers who might be coming in. So a lot still to sort out there and we'll see what happens with public safety over the next week or so. But a final thing I wanted to point out, the Public Safety and Human Services Committee is going to have a very important public hearing coming up at two o'clock on Thursday, talking about tomorrow here. They're talking about the app-based workers, and we have more than 40,000 of them in our area. And that's not even including the Uber and Lyft drivers here. We're talking about people who drive for DoorDash, talking about people who work for Care.com, things like that. There's a very important public hearing that's happening tomorrow at two o'clock where the council is going to be talking about their pay up legislation that would establish a minimum wage for those app-based workers. There's a lot to it. Very complicated issue. We're breaking down some of it on Seattle channel later this week. So I'll check you out there, but I want to make sure everybody checks out Seattle news views and brews tonight on converge at seven o'clock. Thanks guys.
1: Ooh, thanks so much, Brian.
4: Yeah, I know we're up against
0: the clock. But I got to throw this in here again, that that conversation around hiring more officers and a bonus. I'm not hearing anybody say what type of officer. You know, You're right. Um, who's going to serve our community. Real quick, Trey, one, two things before we get out of here, man. Reminder, this is Seattle Opera, man. And you you had uh, uh, Norman Garrett there yesterday, The Marriage of Figaro, um, May 7th through May 22nd. So I'm going to put the link in the comments there. And then you also you had Auntie Viv. You had Auntie Viv yeah. in here yesterday. And this is Doors. And we're actually a partner with the Seattle Theater Group. This is their fundraiser. It's happening on the 7th. of of this month uh, over at the Paramount. Smokey Robinson is going to be in the building. You'll be in the building, too.
1: Absolutely. I'm so glad Converge will be there. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an amazing day, an amazing night. I know some great folks are going to be there, so looking forward to it.
0: All right, Trey. We're a few minutes over. Any last words before we get out of here?
1: Just always see yourself as a part of the solution, you know, be inspired. You know, we have Sheriff Cole Tillman here who was telling us about her experience and why, you know, she's coming from the outside and how she's going to be changing the sheriff's office over at King County. I think it's important for all of us to understand that we have something to bring to this world to make it better, man. See yourself as a part of the solution.
0: Right. And also when, you, when, when you're when you saying uh, being accountable and being part of the solution, what community can do is keep this new sheriff accountable to her position. It's very important out there that you, the citizen stakeholders of King County, keep all of our people in that are in a power position, whether elected or appointed, accountable to their role. Um, That's And right. that, yeah, with that being said, man, you know, this is the last day of the week for me. I'll, I'll be back on Monday at 9 a.m. I want to remind everybody, though, go forward in your purpose, go forward in your humanity So tomorrow, 11 a.m. Peace. Peace.
2: What do I see through a lens of fear? A thousand little steps to go. What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know. I've been running on the edge of the sun, sleeping in the shadow. I've been begging you to see me, then hiding beyond the unreachable looking now left on a right hand turn just No one is a shadow I know No one